Eric Veal with the AppsJack Capable Communities Podcast, and I am coming to you from Seattle, Washington, which is home of Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Boeing, and an incredible startup ecosystem that rivals Silicon Valley. Each episode, I bring on friends and guests who are executives and business leaders from the local community and around the world to talk about a topic that we find very interesting. Please enjoy this episode. Hey, welcome back for another version. Uh, We're here and we're going to talk today about risk, compliance, remediation, and resiliency. And I'll let my guests introduce themselves, starting with Richard Webb. Uh, Richard Webb. um, I'm an architect, uh, enterprise level, and I work uh, consulting with uh, large Fortune 2000 companies. Yeah, I'm Ruben Ortega. Glad to be here. I'm co-founder of a new technology law firm focused on uh, corporate governance, SEC work, privacy regulation, and uh, excited. And I'm Ralph Kleen, president of Lean PM. Um, my company specializes in project management and program management, as well as business preparedness. So uh, it's great to have all these guests today. These are some super talented people. We're here in our uh, studio in West Seattle today, and we'll get right into the details in just a moment. All right, we're getting to the last uh, episode here about our risk compliance remediation topic, and Richard's going to initiate a conversation with us about new business models, kind of how they've changed, or I believe Richard thinks that there's a significant tip at some point, uh, a tipping point, if you will, from the old way to uh, what we have now. And so if Richard can talk to us about Maybe like bank failures and things like that. (laughs) It might be a tipping point. So I kind of kick this off a little bit. There's some concepts to kind of consider that really tie into the risk compliance governance yeah, all the things we're talking about. Um, 09, 08, 010, depending on the year, you, you, you got hit. But there's been a change in the business model. And uh, there's a person who wrote the business model canvas, beautiful book. Um, um, not my book, but somebody else. And it's got very popular. But um, I did write this gentleman uh, with some ideas, and you write there kind of my ideas. So that's what he told me anyway. <laughs> so the thing is, he was crowdsourced, and so it's a good book. But I want to point out that the model we've been using for business is 10,000 years old. We have assets, we have channels, we have value prop, we have input, output of money. And it's a pretty static model. And there's been three major changes, I mean really big changes, that manifested um, permanently into the system what I would say in the earlier time frame. And it had to do, uh, outsourcing brought it on a lot, where, where one of the big movements is, you know, people, employees, are assets. Pretty common, right? So I have a hammer and a screwdriver or a shovel, and then I have a human being, and they're equal to my books. When's the last time that a human was considered an object, like a hammer? Slavery. Thank you. It's slavery. It's a slave model. It's built in Egypt, we've had it forever. That's the model. Well, what happened is people finally got done worldwide with the social movements and moved to the partner segment. We're all a partner now in the business. We're all partners. We still employees, but I'm not a partner. Do you want to listen to me or not? I want to be empowered as an employee. And this is not a soapbox. I'm just trying to show you a big shift in the world is that is a huge shift that I don't look, you, you might be my employee, but you really are my partner. Because I'm gonna fire, you know, I can be fired tomorrow, I'm a consultant. Aren't we all partners at the end of the day? I mean, 
you know, how much buy-in is the company having in me? How much do I have in them? I mean, you can go through the age. Some of us are older. We still think, you know, there's maybe some hierarchy in the universe. Like Einstein thought, you know, didn't roll by dice and find a quantum, it really does. I mean, it's kind of a problem. Then the other big change is technology. This huge, huge. It actually took the 2D model, flipped it, and made it 3D. Where we have shit happen that nobody sees. So we had these processes. And then we used to have hammers and shovels and slaves. So it really was about how good are you with a hammer? What's your skill? Well, now we have processes, SAP, Dynamics, 365. We have mainframes. We have massive technology. We have cloud. No, who, who knows how the cloud works? Who knows how a microscope works? We have processes manually, uh, not manually, but automatically, automatically. Autonomous. Yeah, thank you. I'm thinking. Um, doing stuff that people don't understand, complicated. So all of a sudden, people really aren't part of the process like they used to be. We're not digging holes. They're way over here. So they're losing touch with the process layer. They really don't understand it. Big change. The other one, which is really, really big, is the value prop to the customer segment. You used to have channels, and uh, what was the other one? You had relationships, and then you had channels of delivery. So you have a company, I want to buy shoes, um, you tell me what shoes I can buy because you made them, I look at it, I go, kind of like that shoe, I want that shoe. Well now somebody else shows up and goes, I'm going to do a competition, I'm going to have you, everybody in the world design the shoes, you guys vote, you pick the top 10 shoes, whoever gets picked, I pay you the salary of like the head designer of Nike. So you get that, you put on your resume, you're a chief designer. So then the person at Nike, as an example, would say, I've got one designer, two designers, and they had 10,000 designers. And get this, they already had, before they made the shoe, they knew how many to make, because people already pre-bought them. What's the overhead? Oh, I'll use the same factory that Nike used to make the shoe. There's no loyalty. I'll just go into wherever and have them make the shoe. Same quality. Well, it changed the world, right? Because the customer makes the value prop. No longer does the business say, this is the microphone that I want to give you. You're going to tell me what microphone you want, I'm going to manufacture it. Toyota is trying to get to build a car that you design with their parts and have it manufactured in a couple of weeks so you can just get it. And it'll be your car. Color, leather, whatever. Can you imagine that, that, that intimacy to be able to get something made to, your, to what you want? It's pretty powerful, especially with retail goods. But if you look at it from a point of view, these are big business changes that hadn't been there for 10,000 years. So quick quick one, just to kind of confirm that. Uh, so previously, for example, the slave owners, if you will, or the business owners that were running their... Um, uh, boxes too. Say not, not everything's a slave. We, we had horses. And no, but, but, that, but that point about the, the perspective or the thought process that a previous business owner may have had where it's their capital or somebody else's capital, I but, they're, but they're the boss. It's, it's a, a dictatorship that's going to happen, and that's how compliance and all things happen is by command and control and so forth. This is tops down. Uh, we've got scarcity. People need money. People need jobs. That's how all that works. And then... Your example, I'm just trying to compare these two things is like I just explained with the, the, the previous business owner's perspective, whereas now the consumer, for example, has the power and, and the business owners have learned that the people with the dollars 
are the ones that need to have the keys and the ones that need to be motivated, and they're there serving. And, 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 the, and the employee and the partner are also customers. So the human now is in all three of the areas if you really look at the business model. The same person can be an employee, can be a partner, and can be a customer. So any other thoughts? So the, the high-level thing, Ralph, do you, you have something? Go ahead. Well, you know, I actually find that very positive in, in your model is the fact that to a certain extent we're seeing a resurgence of the possibility of the new renaissance person. <laughs> and, and, and so I don't have to really focus uh, on how things are done, only really what I want to do, right? and achieve my goals and objectives. I think it's immensely positive. I mean, the fact that we're sitting here in this room, uh, five smart individuals, and we've got the mics here. Do you imagine this and the computers and everything else trying to do what we did just 30 years ago, what we're doing now and did it 30 years ago? It wouldn't have been possible because the technology has been an enabler of uh, actually allowing for the, uh, as I see it, the growth of uh, individuals to become their true being. So embracing this type of thinking in the new model, I think, opens up the opportunity to reevaluate risk, mm -hmm. to reevaluate re re harm or threat, and to really look at compliance. Um, we have more in the model than we've ever had, and a portion of it is technology, but the other thing is choice. Partners have choice. Customers have a choice. Employees, maybe not so much in the old thinking, but if you treat them more as partners, they do. And you have to go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that, the, you know, my background is in economics, and that's, that's kind of where I got my, my start. And there's an there's a analysis there about information asymmetries and how if, if you want to control or you want to deal with certain groups, you, you, you keep the information kind of siloed. And I think what we've come, what, what the technology has enabled, what the change in this perspective really shows us is that all of this information is out there. And so when we have risks, we want to review, you know, how we're going to handle X risk. We now have way more information and way more resources. You know, we talk to our partners, we talk to our customers, we talk to our employees. Everybody gets input, and we get way more information. And so we can see through that risk clearer. Than we've ever been able to before. And the I have a thing. So the, the the I think the primary risk to your point there is is control or inappropriate control. If you have idiotic uh, executives or large bureaucracies that aren't really designed to enable and are instead there to control. So for example, I'll promote Tableau a little bit here. I just went to Tableau conference this week. Tableau helps people see and understand their data. They work with the largest organizations in the world. The thing that those, those organizations that are willing to adopt Tableau or technologies like it for business intelligence or visual analytics is they can connect to all these data, like you say. It's all out there. And, and thinking that you're ever going to prevent that, it's, it's been enabled for a very long time that you could have a spreadsheet, for example, and uh, email it around. So really controlling your, and, and thinking that you're going to have controls that are going to prevent information sharing, it's kind of ridiculous. But technologies like SharePoint, or SharePoint, isn't that funny? Uh, tech, yeah, isn't that funny? Uh, technologies like Tableau allow the organization to both provide that self-help thing of go ahead and do it and, and have a project and have a group and, and go ahead and do this thing, share this information, proliferate the information because that's important, knowledge is power. 
Um, and, and you can balance that with the controls and, and you can work in partnership and conjunction between the little people who are now empowered with information and insights and these kinds of things. Well, we're looking at something, an emergence, um, formally, of the idea of curation, where we have curation of data. And people who are authoritative um, basically curate the data. And, and I know that Bing was looking in that very directly because our problem is we have so much data and we have so much stuff. And like even for compliance, we're gonna have so much compliance, we need curators. And the curation is a very interesting, it's like the library, the library is coming back. It's like we need our librarians back. We got rid of them, we got rid of all the librarians in the world, right? Like who needs all that information? We don't have books anymore, get rid of the library. And all of a sudden, we need curators, desperately. Stewards. Stewards. So yeah, so Tableau talks about a, uh, sorry, a, a data steward role as kind of a central facilitator that's in the middle of the process that's helping people connect to the right data. They have the idea of certified data sources, for example, where um, somebody might have published something that is, say, inaccurate or not official, but that can then be, become blessed. So there's really interesting workflows. Another thing I'll mention just briefly to, toward, towards our kind of conclusion here is um, I had a conversation with somebody at Tableau Conference. This guy works at a company called Interworks, and he talked about um, providing data therapy. And data, data therapy was for people, you know, these workers, if you will, that were trying to connect to their data sources or work with this very technical thing, right? It's, it's hard, it's not, it's not turnkey or anything like that. There's a skill. And so the data therapists work with these people on their data to help them understand what, where's the data, what's the data, and so forth. I mean, these, these are the scientists, I think, ultimately, that are, are partnering with the human to understand the emotion and the need there, whatever their objective goals and so forth are, give them the resource. So data is the new oil, I think, is, is, th is something. Well, that's pretty much true. Yeah. I mean, data is the key. So when you get misinformation or disinformation, the, does the data therapist say, started with your mother? These are the issues, right? So well, that's pretty funny. Disturb a share point. But the, but the data therapist, you know, I'm just trying to talk about roles in this. But I think the point is, is the language is a huge change, is the language and the attitude. The model shifted. Whether you agree with me or other people, it's irrelevant. I mean, it, it is what it is, but the, the model shifted, and it can be worded different ways. People have a new relationship to the business, okay, really big. Um, we have technology, we have these processes, we have this capability with data that we never had before, we have all this. Customers are setting their own value props and they're voting like, I don't like it, I'm gone. I'm gonna go, like, what did uh, Bezos say? Uh, Loyalty is one click away, I love that, you know? It's like, I really liked your stuff last week, but you know, I like his better. So click, buy, right? So now it's all about the transaction. I still get a couple pennies or a couple bucks from that or that. So that was the infrastructure people. So the reason that is like, how do we get out of this quagmire of risk and all this stuff that weighs us down? Well, and I think that... Well, remember, I, can I just interject something? Remember, risk is not necessarily... Bad. I agree. Okay. But I said the quagmire of risk, compliance, government, this world that we're talking about. Okay. How do we get out of it? Well, I think that's why the proliferation of all of this data and the tools that are giving us the ability to analyze all this information is to get us out of this. Because if now I can ask you and ask you and ask you how to solve this problem or how I can avoid this risk or is this really a risk, then my path to get past it is so much quicker nowadays. And that's why we feel like 
there's there's all this 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 uh, it's worth taking all these risks. So you're saying socialize it. That's that's how it has to be. Well, the, we have to. So that's one of the things we the, can the do new, start the new, socializing. The new buzzword is enablement, right? So whereas before it was c- control, coercion, da 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 da, tops down, enablement, or back to the data therapist, right? You're you're trying to pick the brain uh, of the person. What are they trying to do? They they know, right? So Tableau. I have this is a quick funny story. Um, my doctor and attorney friends. Uh, a couple couple guys that I grew up with, but Tableau has this thing that they say that Tableau believes that people are smart and people are capable. And my buddies who are somewhat cynical said, have you ever been to the DM, DMV? And they, they disagree. What's the are you talking about? <laughs> but, anyway, but, but, the, but, you know, it's, it's kind of like how you see the world. It's how you see people. And do you see people as potential and assets, but not in the negative way that you're saying, but but individuals working with other, other individuals on technologies, goals, etc., kind of the consultant mindset. Are you there to help them? Are you there to take take their money? And and that's that's a decision in each service provider's mind. I help them, I help them out, I help them out of their money. Like if you see things in a very crass light where you're only there to give them the education so the, the person with the money gets the education, the person with the money with, with the education gets the money type of thought process. If you see people as tools or... Uh, Red ocean versus blue ocean. You know, that kind of thing. And, and I might want to add one of the most influential books that I learned in gradu- I read in graduate school, and it, it's changed my viewpoint on a lot of things, was uh, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions by Thomas Kuhn. It's um, printed, and the book is at the University of Chicago, I believe. And, and he talked about scientific experimentation and, and how our paradigms uh, affect the world of science. And then it was a guy named Joe Barker who took it into the business world. And really, I think what you're talking about is our ability to unlearn and relearn a new paradigm, a new model of the way the world works, and be able to adapt to it. And a lot of times, at least my experience is a lot of people would would view the world in the old paradigm, even though the, the situation and the circumstances have changed. And, I, and think, I think it's very important that we recognize that we have that complexity. I think that's a great great jumping off point here is you know what to do now that we've talked about all of this, right? This is this is you know reassess your your situation. Look at it from a different perspective. Look at it from you know, the technology change. How can I leverage this data that's surrounding me and use it as a tool instead of being overwhelmed by it? Yeah. How can that help me manage this risk? You know, if your lawyer is still charging you by the word, maybe find somebody else who isn't and call them. So many people are too, are too afraid to call their lawyers because of the bill. Figure out some way you can get some advice on these risks uh, without being afraid of the costs because you're going to pay the cost one way or the other. And I think that if you can move forward in a way that uh, is positive and takes you to the next uh, level, you're going to be successful in managing these risks. So let's just do some rapid-fire tips, I guess, as we kind of wrap it up here. So we got our risk compliance remediation talk that we've had, and we're on the kind of business models or just changes in thought process. Can we just kind of rapid-fire, then we'll get out of here as far as tips? Well, I I just want to leave one thought. I mean, really, the old paradigm was to keep us safe, and we need safe. To your very original point, dealing with catastrophe and the ability to continue our survival. And um, the new paradigm, we don't feel safe. It's really hard and it's really a mess. And this readoption or this rethinking or this 
Renaissance point of view, is really to bring the safety back. And we can't throw out the compliance. We've got to deal with the risks. We need to embrace threats. We need to endure harm. I hate to say it, but we need to endure it and then instrument it so we understand what the new paradigm or the new opportunity there is so that we can build a safe. Because if we continue the path we're going and, and, and ignore these type of things, we'll lose our compliance. We'll lose our social, our infrastructure. And I'm not being negative. It's just we need to build a safe world. And that's what this whole series is about. Yeah, so I think just to add to that, I think that one of the things that I've taken away from this conversation is that if there's any way we can simplify our approach to this, we're going to be way more successful. And so as a, as a goal, I think going out of this is, is really just to approach things from, from a simplified manner and use the tools that, that we all have around us. Yeah, I think so. So yeah, I agree 100%. I think simplification and togetherness, I think, is the other part about it. And um, community. So back to the theme, obviously, of the podcast is we're here ultimately. My theme that I'm trying to discuss is capable communities. What does that look like of pe groups of people that are actually capable, confident, etc.? I think there's a lot of... Lot, lot there. So thanks for listening, um, and big thanks to my guests who are here today, uh, Richard, Richard Webb, Ruben Ortega, and Ralph Kleem. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to the Abstract Podcast. The creator and host of this podcast is Eric Veal. It was recorded, engineered, and produced by Christian Harris. You can contact us and find all our show notes on our website at appsjack.libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N. If you like what you hear on this podcast, let us know by writing us a very nice five-star review on iTunes and subscribing. You can also find out more by going to appsjack.com meetup to get more information on this month's topic in the corresponding meetup group that Eric hosts in Bellevue, Washington each month. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next month for our next episode of Abstract Podcast. This has been a Seatown Media production. Find out more at seatownmedia.com, S-E-A hyphen townmedia.com. Thank you.